0: evening, as we continue our study on the book of First Peter, Lord willing, it looks like we we'll finish up chapter 3 next week. Um, so we're going we're to continue, so there will be a fourth part of uh, Lord willing next week. We left off on, uh, we finished up with verse 12 last week, and so we're going to pick up with verse 13 where Peter writes, and who is he that will harm you? But notice it's conditional. If ye be followers of that which is good. Peter asked who can truly harm you if you be followers of good. If you're doing the things that are right and pleasing in God's sight. Man can only harm the physical body. They cannot determine what will happen to the soul. Jesus taught that in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Where he said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so we are to fear God. We are to fear God because God is able to constantly put that body in torment, pain, agony, every day through eternity. And so we are not the fear. What we're dealing with really in the book of Peter is with that persecution that they're dealing with. And so we had seen where it was uh, possibly new converts in chapter 2. And so they're going to go through great persecution. And he's saying, don't let that persecution make you drift from the truth or deny God. What was Jesus telling them to do just before he told them this? Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. What I tell you in darkness that speak you in light, that what you hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetops. And so those things that his disciples were hearing, and not necessarily, he did nothing in secret, but those things that was not being revealed to everyone at that hour, he's saying eventually you're going to preach that on the housetops and you're going to get persecuted for it. Don't fear the ones that are going to persecute you for preaching the word of God. Being followers of good. Don't let fear keep us from preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel because we fear God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, when Paul's writing to the church there in Corinth, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. It's not, look at me, look at me, I'm preaching the gospel. He said, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me. If I preach not the gospel. Now we know that he was chosen as a vessel and that he was going to suffer many things for the persecution that he was actually persecuting the church at one time. But he said it was basically his responsibility to preach the gospel. And how wrongful of that of him if he did not meet that obligation. First Peter chapter three verse fourteen, Peter says, "But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled." And so, if you're suffering because you're doing the will of God, you should be happy. And so, we often think of well, persecution, uh, things that are going to inflict harm, or, or, most of the time with us, it's just um, uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, right? trying to talk to someone, spread the gospel. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 and 11, when when, when Jesus is given those beatitudes, and he's saying blessed, which that word blessed blessed there means happy. He's saying happy are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, blessed are ye when men shall revile you. That That's saying things that are not true. They're they're bringing accusations against you. They're, They're slandering you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And so here you're being persecuted for the gospel, but then you're being persecuted for his sake because you're standing up for Christ. And so how happy are we to be? Matthew chapter 5 verse 12 Jesus says rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you and so the things that are going to happen to these Christians here in the first century and the things that can happen to us in this day and time it's no different than what God's prophets went through in the Old Testament and they were being persecuted by who their own people the Jewish nation in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41, this is after in chapter 4 we read where they, they uh, healed the lame man that was laid at gate beautiful. And they were having to go as a defense. In chapter 5, it's their defense. And uh, and so right before their release, because they could find their fault in them, and to him they agreed. Now that was to Gamilia. Um, he had said, if it's of God, you can't resist it. If it's not of God, it's going to fizzle out. And so they, the council, the Sanhedrin council, agreed with Gamaliel. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, persecuted. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so they were telling them, oh, no, no, you cannot preach for his sake. You can't preach for righteousness' sake. And they departed from the presence of the council and, Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. For the cause of Christ, they rejoiced because they had been buffeted, beaten for the cause of Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happier are ye. Again, They may harm you through persecution for the gospel's sake, but God takes notice of this. God's not going to ignore when you're being persecuted for the gospel. In Acts chapter 7, verses 54 and 55, this is when Stephen is being persecuted for his stand for the gospel. And when they heard these things, who was that? That was those Jews. They were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into God and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And so, oftentimes when we read about Jesus, we always see he's sitting on the right hand of God. But when Christians are attacked for right doing, his love for his bride is noted. Notice him standing by the hand of God, right hand of God. That he's taking notice of what's happening to uh, our brother Stephen. In Acts chapter 9 verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went on to the high priest. And so here's Paul and he's, he's actually having people slaughtered for, a, a slaughter for the cause of Christ. Because he said it was blaspheming. Paul was persecuting Christians before his conversion. And how did Jesus address that persecution with Paul? Acts chapter 9, verse 4. And he fell to the earth, that's Paul, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? But he wasn't persecuting him. He was persecuting disciples. Persecution against the church is a direct persecution of Christ. Christ, why? In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 30 and 32 when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus he writes for we are members of his body of his flesh of his bones for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife we know what he's talking about there But he was talking about what was said in the garden of Eden and they too shall be one flesh and so that, that was talking about marriage this is a great mystery But I speak concerning what? Christ and the church. And so we have that that marriage relationship with Christ. We are his bride. We are one flesh with him. We are no longer ourselves. We are Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14. And be not afraid of their terror near be troubled. Don't be alarmed for persecution. Don't Let fear creep in that you deny the Lord, that you turn from the gospel. The one thing that's going to save you is the gospel. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, when Paul's writing to the young preacher Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Those that live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. If we truly live differently... We will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. If we preach the doctrine of Christ, then we'll be persecuted for his sake. But God will deliver to us if it be his will. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, Paul writes Persecutions, afflictions, which came on to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Well, remember at Lystra, if you remember what happened to Paul? He was stoned. Left for dead. What persecutions I endured. But notice who he gives the credit for enduring them. He says, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. It was the Lord's will to deliver Paul because Paul is on a mission to preach the kings, preach the gospel to Gentiles, and to go to Rome. How do we deal with persecution without fear? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so how are you going to deal with that fear? You're going to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. When you look at that word sanctify, the Greek word, it means hallowed reverence. It's that reverence for God. The same word that was used in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 after this manner therefore pray you our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name and so he's holy you are sanctifying, you are saying that God is reigning in your heart. You're giving God the preeminence we deal with persecution because of our reverence and love for the father In verse 15, he says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If we walk differently, our way of life, our outlook on life should draw attention. In this day of time, it seems like the world's getting more and more wicked. And we'll, we'll deal with that, uh, Lord willing, next week when we're going to be uh, diving in on the days of Noah. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus wrote, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be healed. And so we have influence in the world. Our Christian life is influence. Our influence in a dark world will draw those seeking God towards us. They want what we have. When they ask of the reason of our hope, our hope is in the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 19 Paul writes if in this life only if this is all that there is we have hope in Christ we are all most all men most miserable but see we don't only have our hope in this life only we have hope in that life after and so we're not miserable we are happy we are hopeful we are awaiting that adoption Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, Paul's writing to the Romans, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. Without hope, we're going to lose our salvation. Hope is what keeps us doing the will of God. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? And so we can't see heaven yet. We have those spiritual eyes. We know that it's a real place. But we have not obtained it yet. And so that's why we have hope. Our hope is in eternal life. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And so that's where our hope is. Our hope is in the resurrection. Well, that resurrection is going to lead to eternal life if we're found uh, in good standing with God. If we've been found faithful, let me put that. uh, That's a better choice of words. Our hope keeps us saved because it is the anchor of our souls. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, the writer writes, which hope we have as an anchor to soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enter into that that within the veil. And so we know that Jesus Christ has entered into the veil. He's in the most holy right now. And so this is, of course, a reference to the, um, it's making application from the tabernacle. And so the high priest would only be able to go into the most holy place, not the regular priest. Well, our high priest... As we're going to probably see in scripture upcoming, our high priest, Jesus Christ, is in the most holy place. He's went into the veil. He's there. And so that is our hope. That is our anchor because we know where Christ is, we're going to be. When Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father, it gave us the very hope we look to obtain. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, that's what Peter had just told him. Don't let them fear. Don't let them uh, scare you with fear. And don't let them trouble you. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so that's our hope. Uh, he has already put that anchor in firmness because we know that's where Jesus ascended to his Father. When the, when the Ancient of Days gave him a kingdom and dominion, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 he says, be ready always to give an answer to every man to ask you a reason of the hope that is in you. Are you ready? See, Peter's telling them to, to be ready at all times. Do you know the plan of salvation? Can you quickly locate scriptures in the Bible to teach the lost the plan of salvation? Can you show them scriptures in the, in the Bible that teach us of the, the kingdom that was prophesied back in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 2? that everlasting kingdom, Daniel 2, 44. First Peter Peter 3, verse 15, but there's a way for us to do it. Not, not only should we have the answers, but there's a way for us to deliver it. And we are to deliver it with what? Meekness and fear. Meekness is humility, not arrogance. Because we have to remember, someone took the time and the love to teach us the Scriptures. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. And Paul's writing to the church there in Colossae. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may how you ought to answer every man. You can be right, but if you say it with any form of I know more than you, or say it with any point that points that you don't have a loving heart, it's not going to be received well. And you may have have done much damage to that soul and they'll never obey the gospel. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That new earth, that new heaven. And then that word fear, When we are teaching the loss, we should be fearful of teaching something contrary to the word of God. When we are teaching the loss, we have a grave responsibility to teach it correctly. Not to mishandle the scriptures. We don't want to teach someone error and then they go and believe a lie. In Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. The writer writes, For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and or become such as need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, mature, mature Christian, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so mature Christians should be able to teach the word of God skillfully and correctly. And therefore they should be able to give an answer to all men who ask for the hope in us. And all you're really going to teach when you're trying to teach the lost is those first principles of the oracles of God. You're going to try to teach them a skeleton and then you come back and fill in that meat as they're able to uh, handle it, the flesh, flesh that that um, the scriptures out. But the o- other question we have for ourselves: Will we, when someone asks us, what what's the reason of the hope? Romans chapter one verse sixteen. This was Paul's response: For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God on the salvation. Everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also in the Greek. Later in the book, in Romans 10, he's going to say, how can they hear without a preacher? And so if we're ashamed of the gospel and we're not giving the answers when they ask, they're never going to be saved because it's only by the power of, the, of God, by the power of the gospel that one can be saved. We've also been told to contend for the faith. Jude chapter 1 verse 3 Jude writes beloved when I gave all diligence to write on you of the common salvation see it's common because it's for all mankind there's not a gospel for the Jew and a gospel to the Greek it was needful for me to write on you and exhort you that you should what earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints Wednesday night we looked at where Paul went into the synagogues and what did he do for three Sabbath days? Reasoned out of the scriptures. Why? Because salvation is in the gospel. You have to believe the Old Testament or the New Testament makes no sense. You learn of the physical in the Old Testament so you can figure out the spiritual in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Peter says, having a good conscience, that, whereas they speak evil of you, as of, of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Well, how do we have a good conscience? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. If you're suffering for righteousness' sake, you have a clear conscience. You're doing the will of the Father. Those things that they speak are lies. Notice they falsely accuse you. If the things are true that they speak, and we still have a good conscience, then we are not suffering for righteousness' sake. We are suffering for being what? An evildoer. 1 Peter 3, verse 17. For it is better if the will of God be so, that you be you suffer for well doing for evil doing. Remember when we studied in 1 Peter chapter two verse twenty about uh, obeying the authorities. He and and Peter writes for what glory is it when you are buffeted for your fault? So if you do wrong and you got you got punished for it, big deal. You're you're taking what you deserve. He's saying you shall take it patiently because you're getting what you suffered. But if, when you do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. If we do evil, it is God's will for us to be punished for it. Through uh, government means, that's what he has in place. But when we're being, when we're suffering for doing his will, it's pleasing in God's sight. Not in the fact that we're getting punished, but that we're taking it Patiently, because we're doing it on behalf of Christ. We're doing it on behalf of the gospel. We're doing it on, the, on, the, on behalf of the church. God would rather us be punished for doing His will than doing not His will. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so Peter's trying to bring everything into perspective. Why are you going to deal with persecution? Because this happened. Why are you going to obey the authorities? Because this happened. Why are you going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because this. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring them back to why. Just as we remember every Lord's Day, the suffering of Christ when we partake of the Lord's Supper, why do we do it? We want to put it in perspective. We never want to forget that great sacrifice. Christ was falsely accused. Christ was wrongfully crucified. He was rejected because of his righteousness and the truth he spoke. Ben's doing such a great lesson on those hard sayings. And we can see it in just those six chapters of John, how Jesus is being persecuted because he did right. He healed an impotent man. What happened? They persecuted him. Because it's on the Sabbath. And then when he's trying to explain to them that he is the Son of God, then he's being persecuted for him saying that he's equal with God. But the first six chapters declare who he said he was. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Isaiah wrote, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Why did he have to suffer? Because of our transgressions. Peter's bringing it back. We put him on the tree. Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. Bring it into perspective. We put him on the tree. Why are you going to suffer for his sake? Because we put him to death. That's what he says right here. The just died for who? The unjust. Christ was without sin Hebrews 4 15 for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities what does that mean that means but was in all points tempted like as we are he went through the same things we go through yet he did it without sin why because he loved the father Christ was made a sin offering for us Second Corinthians five twenty one, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's not because of our righteousness; it's because of him we're righteous before God. Romans chapter five verse six, for when we were yet without strength, why? Because we were sinners. In due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. There is not anyone in this room that can ever say I was godly all my life. Romans 5.8 But God commended His love towards us. What did God do to show His love for mankind? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. But who is he the Savior of? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. He doesn't become our Savior until we obey his gospel and we're added to his church. That's the church that he bought with his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church. What did he do? And gave himself for it. How did he do it? On the cross. It was his life to lay down, and he laid it down for the church. John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus says, no man taketh it from me. What? His life. But I lay it down of myself. And I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He chose to lay it down. I know in the garden he said he he prayed for that cup to uh, uh, to pass him if it be the Father's will. That was his humanity side. We have to remember it's hard for us to wrap our heads but he was 100% deity. He was 100% man. He didn't go without the same emotions. Remember Jesus went. The love that he had for Lazarus. He is only one Savior, one Savior, when they are added to his church. In chapter 10 of John, he's dealing with the sheepfold. And remember he says, I have some sheep that are not my sheep yet. He's talking about after he died on the cross that the gospel would go to the Jew and the Gentile. And they would be what? One fold. Him being the chief what? Shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. That he might bring us to God. We just read that in John chapter 14, verses 1 through I think it's 3. The only ones that will receive the benefits of his blood are those who obey his teachings and continue in them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you also received. They obeyed it wherein you stand. And so at this point, they're still still in the light. But notice in verse 2, by which also ye are saved, if, it's conditional. You keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. That's that remaining faithful until the end. As as, uh, Jimmy had pointed out uh, not too long ago, what has hindered you from running the race? Paul writes, take heed unless you fall. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh. That's important. Why did Jesus become a man? To be tempted as in all points as we. We read that in Hebrews 4, 15. Why? Because God cannot be tempted. James chapter 1 verse 13, James writes, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. He had to be tempted just as we are. He had to have those uh, physical weaknesses. The first temptation is turning stone to bread, and it says that he was a hunger. In order for it to be a temptation, it had to have an appeal to Christ. God is eternal and God cannot die. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says, But when we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That's the reason why he was made not an angel, he was made a man. Because he had to suffer death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. When Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and being found in fashion as a man, he was made in a, as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the Bible says, "Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree." So he didn't go out in an easy fashion. He went out in the most torturous way that he could, shedding his blood for you and me. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 it says but quickened by the spirit and so he was put to death in the flesh but he was made alive by the Holy Spirit man took Christ's life but he was resurrected by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 verse 11 but if the spirit of him that's God that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you God the Father also, we see, raised him from the dead. It's, it's right there in that text, but in Acts 2, 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. But Jesus also had a part in his resurrection. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Just as all three were involved in creation, all three were involved in the plan of salvation, so will all three be involved in the resurrection because they're all of the same mind. They have that unity that the church is supposed to have. If tonight you are not a Christian, we invite you to obey the same gospel That has been obeyed for almost 2,000 years. It starts by hearing the word of God because without the gospel, there's no power to save anyone. And so that's how our faith is built. Uh, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith is that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that's uh, our AM services on that. John twenty verses thirty and thirty one sums up what the book of John is written for, and many other signs truly that Jesus, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and believing, you might have life through His name. Then you will notice that repentance. If you're going to truly study the Word of God, and you're going to have your life aligned with these pages. That brings in repentance because every man, as we have seen, has been ungodly. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us and we deceive ourselves. And so repentance is required. You must have that change of heart that produces that change of life. That's what Peter told them on that day, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 38, that they needed to repent. Then you must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God before men. Just as the Ethiopian did in Acts 8, verse 37. It's the same confession that Peter made in Matthew 16, 16. When, when Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. <clears throat> then you must allow someone to immerse you in the water. That is to be buried with him into his death. To have your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 1-5. It's at that time that you are righteous with God. Jesus is now your Savior. And then you must live faithfully until the end, Revelation two ten. Perhaps you have obeyed the gospel, but something has hindered you. If if we can help you at either, in either way, if you'll come to the front, <clears throat> together we stand and sing the song of the church.